The first reading is from Isaiah, the 55th chapter. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is the word of the Lord. Our psalm for today is Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, Seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. The second reading is from Philippians, the first chapter. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope, that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you 
that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel today is from St. Matthew, the 20th chapter. Jesus said, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After greeting with the after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out at about th- the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, "You go into the vineyard too. Whatever is right, I will give you." So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour. He went out and found others standing. He said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, Then you go into the vineyard too. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, am I doing I am doing you no wrong? Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. This is the gospel of our Lord. Today, Jesus gives us a parable, and it's kind of hard for a lot of us to think about what this parable means to us, because where we live, there's not, it's called a finite world, and I don't know if those concepts are given to your grades or not, but there's only so much in this world available for us, and so frequently we don't think there's enough. And because we don't think there's enough for us, then we start getting greedy and complaining with one another and we fight each other for this this stuff. And so I was thinking about what does that look like? And imagine there's been times I've lived in desert places that if you're in a desert place and you're thirsty and you've been outside playing or working all day and you see that there's only that much water and it's got to go for everybody, and you're real thirsty, which one of these glasses would you really have if you're really thirsty? This really full one or this kind of full one? The full one, right? You would want to have this one. 
And if I gave this full one to like your brother, or I gave it to her, and I gave you the half full one, you'd probably be a little grumpy. You probably be, you might not say anything because you'd be talking to the pastor, dude, and you don't want to make him. But but you'd in your mind, in your heart, you'd be saying, "Well, I wanted more. That's not fair, right?" We we complain because of certain things about fairness. So with this idea of not having enough, Jesus has given us this parable. And similarly, instead of thinking about these cups as far as your objects, now think about the cup as being a person, okay? This person only has that much, say, money or just that much God in their life. They're not really that full of God. This one's more. But what Jesus is going to tell us is that when you go to heaven and you're this cup and this person, God's going to pour his love into you. God's going to pour his goodness into you all the gifts of heaven, and that cup is about as full as I can make it without spilling a drop, right? Is it, is it like really full? Think I get more in there? Nope, it's already spilling a little bit. Here, I'll put, I'll replace it. Okay, that's as much as it gets. But not only that, God says that when you're in heaven, it's going to be like this. Is this cup complaining that it doesn't have enough? Does this cup really need more? I think this cup's pretty satisfied, right? It can't take any more God's love. It can't take any more God's goodness, his blessing, the light, the, all the stuff of heaven. It's just kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of like recklessly just pouring everywhere, right? That's what he's trying to teach us in this parable. But it gets more than that. He says in heaven, think about this cup. It couldn't hold more water. Let's say if I'd stick that cup in the bottom of that thing right there, can that cup hold anything more? If, that, if this water is God's love and God's goodness, that cup has its insides filled, its outsides filled, it's above it, it's below it, and it's all around it. Can that cup even, even have a hint of holding more water than it's holding right now? No. And then in heaven, that cup is so full of God's love, and then all of a sudden here comes his brother or his sister or his mom and his dad and all of his friends. Now there's all these other cups in there. Is this cup complaining to that cup that it doesn't have enough love? Not a chance. They are so overwhelmed with God's love in heaven, they're not going to be complaining about it, right? That's what the parable's about. On earth, we're complaining because we don't get enough or it's not fair. Jesus is trying to talk to Peter and say, Peter, in heaven, it's not like that. In heaven, you're going to be so overwhelmed with the amount of love you have, you're not going to be grumbling that your friend got more than you. You will have so much you can't even think about having more, and you'll be beyond satisfied, all right? So as you guys are going, one, while you're on this earth, you're to share and take care of everybody so everybody gets a, a cup of water and as much as you can share. But in heaven, you're going to have all you could possibly want and then some. Fair enough? Let's say our prayer. Put your hands together. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your overwhelming love. If it gives you glory, help us recognize your gift and give us gratitude in our heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can go back to mom if you want. One day there was a very rich person, a rich young person actually,
He comes running up to Jesus. He's enthusiastic to meet Jesus because he's heard good things about Jesus. He's heard how he's, he's like the, 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 possibly the Messiah of God, and he's doing all these miracles. He's really smart, and he's teaching these, these heavenly things. And so this rich young person comes running up to Jesus, and he, and he asks, he says, Lord or Master, Master, what must I do so that I can get eternal life? Well, Jesus looks at him and he answers. He says, all you have to do for eternal life is obey the commandments. Okay? You and I know that's impossible, right? But he says, obey the commandments. And he says, well, well, master, this I've done from my youth up. Well, then Jesus says to him, well, then one thing you still lack. Go and sell all that you have. Give it to the poor and then come and follow me. And we're told that the young man walked away sorrowfully because he had great wealth and he could not let go of the world so he could walk with Jesus. Concluded the master, Jesus, he says, it will be hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Then now the disciples who had been watching all of this, watching the dynamics of the interaction, the person who's coming forward in Jesus' answer, they are very disturbed. Because Jewish tradition always had taught that God is especially blessed, the rich men, and that's why they were rich, because they had God's blessing, they had God's favor, and it was reflected in the abundance in their life. In their way of thinking, a wealthy man, a man so extravagantly blessed, and his offspring, they, if, if this person couldn't receive eternal life, if this one who was blessed of God and was so extravagantly showing that he was blessed of God, if that person was told no, essentially, then what would the poor people like us have any chance? None. No hope. So they asked Jesus, then who can be saved? It was Simon Peter then who drew the question even more clearly into focus for us. Simon Peter then tells Jesus, he asked Jesus, and he asked something that was on the mind of all the disciples then, and maybe on the mind with all Christian disciples ever since, who have made an effort to do God's will and have said no to the world, and there's a part in us that might be a little bit um, disgruntled about the fact that we're not playing in the world because we gave it all up for Jesus, and instead of being happy with Jesus and the relationship with him, we're kind of like inwardly complaining. So all of this stuff is going on, and with all that stuff in mind, Jesus asks him, Lord, we've, we've given up everything for you. Lord, we've given up all of our riches. We've left our houses. We've left our businesses. We've left our spouses, our children. We've left our families, our communities. Lord, we have left everything so that we could follow you. Lord, what are we going to receive? We've done all this work. At the end of the day, what's our cut? How are we to profit? What's going to be the payoff? Well, in, spawn, in response to Peter's question, Jesus tells a story. He tells us today's parable. As we listen to the story, I'm going to ask that you, you listen for not just worldly insights and about how it might be right and unfair and all that sort of stuff. Instead of thinking about that, I want you to listen for, for God's insights and God's correction in our life. It's, it's not about a worker. It's not about the work. It's not about the law, about I did this much work and I'm deserving of this pay. They got that much work. They don't deserve that much pay. It's not about all that stuff. Just put that on the time out. 
It's not about rules that's fair or unfair and who gets more, who has more, and how am I going to get more and get my share? No, this parable is about the abundance, the ridiculousness of God's love and grace, extravagant love and grace. So he tells a story. It's a harvest time of the year. Six in the morning, that's when the workday started, right? I just remember six o'clock in the morning came early at certain times in my life. It was always hard to get up that early. And there's probably going to come a day in my life again where six o'clock is going to be rude. But right now in the story, six o'clock was the day the work started. In that time of the day, the wealthy landowner, he goes to the town square because he wants to hire laborers to work in his vineyard. This is common practice in that part of the world, particularly during a grape harvest season. Um, the storms could come and easily ruin the grapes. And we've seen that in our country. Anybody who's lived in the Midwest or upper Midwest, when you grow a lot of corn and when the corn's getting real tall and you're waiting for it to dry out, you're really hoping that some storms don't come and make it wet and or blow it over because then how are you going to harvest it? Same thing can happen to wheat and a lot of other things. It's been happening even just this year. So in these days, they had a harvest. They wanted to make sure that they captured that harvest at the peak of the harvest and not have any of it get wrecked by storms. So for a time, this owner wants and will employ anybody who's able. Anybody that wanted a job would work. Now, the work was hard. They're working hours from 6 o'clock in the morning to 6 o'clock in the afternoon. That's 12 hours in this Mediterranean world. The wages for that day, for that entire 12 hours of work, was agreed upon. It was common for everybody. It was a denarius. For your 12 hours of effort, every laborer got one denarius, silver coin. The denarius was not only the average daily wage for the workers. This denarius was also the average cost that it took for one family to survive one day. For the masses of Israel, the man, the woman, the family, the children, what would it take to feed them and take care of them for one day? This isn't a poverty level. This is not extravagant levels. This, this is entry level, just food and, and maybe some clothes occasionally if it was needed. One denarius. It didn't allow any room to maneuver. It would only give you what you needed to survive, no more, no less. So a day's work and a full day's wage, they were essential for survival. Now, during this grape harvest, men who wanted to work, who would go to the marketplace, they would go to the center of the town, this, this gathering space, and they would stand around and they would wait for the people that they thought might need work. And they might even approach them. It was kind of like going in our days maybe to an employment center in the morning so you could look for a job and then have employment. The fit ones, the strong ones, the, the ones who were maybe polite and energetic and, and delightful in their, their um, attitudes, they would probably be selected first. After all, that's what the, the landowner would want. He would take the ones who would profit him the most by their labors and then would do so with the best attitude, all right? We see that today all around us. It happens every draft year. I mean, I was remember earlier in the year we were watching on the end of last year, an NFL draft. Oh my gosh, the teams line up one to whatever 30 something there are. And they've got the whole selection of a hundred of the, the America's best, fittest, strongest, fastest, fastest athletes. And number one of all of those athletes, where are they going to pick the best? 
the one that they think is going to profit their team the most and help them with the weaknesses and the next team, so on and so forth. So we understand that these employers would select the best workers first. The ones that might have, have had injuries, like when we fall now and break something, we can have, it doesn't, if it's crooked in our bodies, they will surgically fix that. They will put a rod, make it straight. They'll put some screws to make sure it stays straight and eventually will heal straight. In those days, if you broke your leg and it was crooked, you might have a crooked leg for the rest of your life. And if you had a broken arm, my mind again was busted, those bones, I probably would have had a busted, twisted arm for the rest of my life. I would have been a one-armed worker. I would not have been chosen first. And since I'm a little bit older, I would not have been chosen first. I might have been chosen middle because I'm kind of tall and I might be able to reach stuff easily that the shorter ones can't. But all of this stuff goes into play with these workers on this day. The least desirable workers would have been left behind in this market system. So the workers, now, they're going to work 12 hours. And at the end of their 12 hours of work, they're going to make a line. They're going to approach the, the manager the, or the, the owner. And as they go by, the owner, keeping track of who they are and how much they work, will give them their, their wage for the day. Handed the silver coin as they passed by. And they would go home with that coin knowing that they could, you know, if it was me, I could go home and I could, I could give it to my wife and say, I have no idea what you and the family need most, but you know best. And you know, I'm doing this part and you've managed this part. You're the engineer of the house. You take this and apply it as you need. And she would do that. They would go home, and, but it's enough for the family for that day. The cold, hard reality is this. If I was unable to find work on that particular day, my family would not eat tomorrow. There would be no coin for her to purchase the supplies for the, for the house. If I didn't work, me and my family were hungry until I worked. If I found work for only part of the day, unable to earn the whole denarius, then I would take home maybe the half a denarius, whatever I would earn, and it would be enough to buy something but at the end of the next day, even though we had something, we would be hungry because we didn't have enough. I hope we can appreciate now by hearing these things that you can grow in your appreciation for the reality, the historical reality, what is at stake at the workers in this story. The story is more than about fairness. Some of these, these workers, it's about personal survival. It's about not the survival of them. It's the survival of their beloved, their wife, and their children. If they don't work, they starve. There's nothing free in their world. There's no entitlements like we get in our country. Now, in the gospel lesson, landowner went out at 6 o'clock in the morning, and he's hiring workers. He agrees to pay these workers the standard wage, one denarius for the day. Three hours later, at about 9 o'clock, and then again three hours after that, 12 o'clock, he's going out into the marketplace, and he's looking for some people to work. And he sees some men. He's approaching these men. He sees them. He goes to them. And if they're willing, he's able to take them for that day. And obviously, they were late because he was there at 6 o'clock. So the ones who he's hiring at 12 or at 9 o'clock or 12, oh, maybe they just wanted to sleep in that day. Maybe they, they were a little foolish the night before 
um, whatever it was, they didn't show up for work when it was timed for work. And you know what? Out of the heart of this labor, he says, I still have work to do. And he goes to them, come and work. I'll pay you what you can. Regardless of the reason they show up, they're going to be hired. Regardless of the reasons why they weren't hired by anybody else at six o'clock in the morning, this one hires them. Broken arms, twisted legs, hurt backs, super old, super young, whatever. He's going to hire them. You go work in my vineyard. At 12 o'clock and then get three o'clock in the afternoon, the same thing. Now at five o'clock, 11 hours into this day. Okay, there's only one out of 12 hours left. At five o'clock in the afternoon, the final hour of the workday, the landlord's going to go out there and he's going to find still a few people standing around. He says, why aren't you working? He says, because no one's invited. No one wanted us. He says, I want you. Go work in my vineyard. And they hobble themselves over there and they work. Now, when quitting time comes, the owner of the vineyard tells his foreman. I, you can almost imagine this. This is our heavenly father speaking to Jesus, right? Okay, foreman Jesus, you go and pay them, all right? So he calls the workers. They get in their line, and, and the father tells, the, the, the owner tells the, the, the foreman, you're going to begin with the ones who started work at 5 o'clock, and you're going to work your way all the way back to the time the ones who worked at 6 a.m. in the morning, all the whole day. But start with the last ones and pay them first. And so those, these workers show up, the ones who started at five o'clock. Now, again, they're, they're, they're there to receive their wage. They're standing in line. They, they, they're, I don't know what they're thinking. They're only getting one-twelfth of a day's supply of food. But they put their hand out to get their, their, their wage. And instead of getting one-twelfth of what they were expecting, they got the whole day's work. They worked one hour, and they're getting paid for 12 hours. This is a survival amount of money, right? This, this is what they need so they're not hungry tonight. Can you imagine how almost deliriously happy these workers were? The most undeserving, the ones who only worked one hour and they're going to get the whole day? Oh my gosh, they had to have been celebrating almost like jumping up and down. So thankful, thankful, thankful to the, to the, the master there. The laziest, the least desirable, the weakest, the overlooked, the left behind, the unwanted ones have just received a full day's wage for one hour of work. Oh, they could go home and they could feed their family. They'd be able to pay their bills. Their house might not be foreclosed. They might even be able to pay back a little bit of a debt. As they go through this line, receive they pay, they probably celebrate. And you know what that's going to do? It's going to create a problem for the rest of them in just a moment. Because when the men who are hired first are coming through the line, when they've watched how they've worked all day, and when they've watched how generous the, the foreman one with the master's money, given the person who worked one hour the full day's wage, no doubt as they're moving through their line, they're wondering, okay, maybe it's not a denarius for a day. Maybe it's going to be a, on this day, it's a denarius per hour. And on this day, I'm going to walk home with 12 days work pay in my hands. I could treat my family today as they're approaching this line. Maybe I can treat my family to a Ruth Chris steak dinner tonight because, baby, we're not having beans and tortillas today. We're not having rice and that sort of stuff today. No, we're actually going to have some meat today, Lord. And, and you're going to go home and celebrate to your wife and your children. Or, or maybe you'd be able to pay back some debt. You know, maybe you've been behind for a couple of days because you couldn't work. And now you could go back and pay for some of the food you've racked up and you didn't pay. Or maybe you could buy some shoes for your kids because they've been walking barefoot long enough. And maybe you could buy them 
some shoes or something, some leather you can make your sandals, whatever it was. As you're approaching this line, you're thinking about all this good stuff because this is such a generous landowner. And when you show up and you put out your hand, he gives you what you need for one day. Oh, there could have been disappointment. And they do. They begin to grumble. The landowner answers them, am I being unfair to you? He calls him friend. Friend, how have I been unfair to you? You agreed to work for the day's wage. I'm giving you the day's rage. You have exactly what you need to take care of yourself and your family as we agreed. If I decided to give the one who worked one hour the same as you, am I not allowed to do that? It's my vineyard. It's my money. Or are you envious? Because I am generous. Now, with that story in mind, go back to Peter's question. The motivation that inspired his asking, what are we going to receive for our leaving what we've left in this world so that we can be Christians, so we can follow Jesus? As we're focusing on the world, as we're focusing on this finite world and this comparative world about who has more and who has less and did I get my share and then maybe I get a little bit more than my share and all that sort of stuff, to that type of thinking, which is sick and twisted, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven and he's going to give them a better answer. He answers Peter with an example of his father in heaven and his kingdom. He says, Peter... You're going to receive the Father's best, the fullest. You're going to receive complete provisions for each day, regardless of your contribution, Peter. Friends, this is a parable about the generosity of God. It's a parable about the extravagant provisions of God. The generosity and provision of God is mercifully extended to the entirety of God's people, the strong and the weak, the skilled and the less skilled, the ones who have been faithful, the ones who didn't have the strength to be faithful, the wisdom to be strength faithful, about the ones who have positive attitudes as well as the grumbling, backbiting, never satisfied, always picking things apart people, the ones who are on time and the ones who are late. This parable is the generosity and provision of God given to all people. God is pouring out his grace full and completely. Now, some of us, we have labored in the vineyard as Christians for most of our lives. We might be tempted to think, oh, that we, we deserve to get a little bit extra now and a lot extra to come. An extra measure of grace in return for our many years of service. I tell you today what Jesus told them, that will not happen. It, it, it cannot happen. As is impossible as it was for one of those glasses of water to hold more than its physical limits, as much as it is for this other glass to hold more than its physical limits, even submerged in the ocean under the weight of a mile of water, it cannot hold more water. And in that way of thinking, it is impossible for us to receive more of God's grace than someone else getting more of God's grace. They are submerged in it. There's no more than, there's no less than. The fullness of God's grace, Jesus is trying to get through to us as we're thinking about finite things in this world, 
That God's grace, God's love for us is beyond our earthly dreams of love. We've never experienced on this earth anything close to the amount of love that he has for us. It pours into our cup day and night, overflowing. We can't take a single drop more, not today, not tomorrow, not for all eternity. In his heaven, the fullness of life and the blessedness and the peace that's there, the goodness is there, there's no space to put God's blessing in any more part of us than we can possibly hold in heaven. So back to the parable, the father's love is without limits. He pours out his love without reservation and without regard to who's worked, how long, and how much. And if that bothers you, if you still have a place in your heart that grumbles because maybe someone else will be in heaven when they only worked five minutes or someone else might be in heaven though they don't do much on earth or someone else, if you're thinking about those thoughts in your mind and your heart, then this is the day to get over it. Peter, at the end of this life's time of work, you will see that you are the worker that I hired at 5 p.m. that no one else wanted, but I treasured and provided for. You will see yourself as the one who is invited to work, and you'll be grateful that he's poured out the full salary, though you brought so little and in that joy, you won't notice what's being paid to anybody else because you'll be so delighted that you've received God's love so fully. Evidence of this in our lives is, will, will be noticed. That you will see that you are the worker who's received so great a gift and that you'll be so overwhelmed with that in gratitude that's all the world will see. They'll see your love of your father, the gratitude of your father, and the display of that in goodness to the people around you. Jesus told the parable with the hopes that the disciples would get it. God, help us be a church that both receives the grace and gives the grace. Amen. Let us declare our faith. We'll use the words of the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven, and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again according to the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. And I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. And let us pray. 
Heavenly Father, we want to give you thanks and praise that you've called us here to worship, that we get to be with you in your house, to hear your, to hear your word for us, to experience your love for us, to remember how much you love and treasure and delight in us. Lord, we give you thanks for your mercy and your goodness that you invite us to come home this day. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray for the church throughout the world especially for all who would confess you as Lord and Savior, that Christ followers would have faith, that we would trust that we would follow, that we would be blessed with the Holy Spirit in such a way as to display love, forgiveness, and peace to all around us. Lord, in your mercy. Heavenly Father, we pray for our country. We pray for all nations of the earth that you would provide wisdom and faithfulness to the leaders of governments and those who advise them, Lord, the same wisdom and faithfulness to the people they serve. Lord, that all people across all the earth would live according to your holy will and your holy way. Lord, in your mercy. Father, we pray for those we know and love who are sick or injured, those who are hospitalized or recovering from being hospitalized. Lord, for those who face with life with anxiety, those who manage illnesses, for those who are enduring chronic pain, Lord, we pray for those who are harboring secret burdens and secret wounds. Lord, that you will provide healing to them all, comfort to them all, and a sense of your presence. We pray now for those that we name in our hearts. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, into your hands we commend ourselves. We commend all for whom we pray. We will trust in your mercy through your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you. 